Mark Santiago here, and welcome to the Empowered AF Podcast, where each episode we share powerful strategies to help you communicate, act, and lead like an empowered man. Thanks for joining me. All right, all right, all right. I'm excited. We're going to do uh, our sounds like a favorite thing of you guys is you like these ask me anythings. Although today I didn't get as many questions, but I'm still going to answer the questions I got. Some of them are meaty. Some of them are not so meaty. Some of them are kind of simple. And, you know, questions are extremely important. I have this thing about questions where I say the right question will get you the right answer. The wrong question will get you the wrong answer. Um, so how we ask questions is super, super important, right? Because if you're asking questions that are leading, if you're asking questions that are manipulative, if you're asking questions that are trying to get a certain answer, you're always going to get like that answer. You're, you're not going to get it to be like the right answer, like what you really need to hear. And so it's important when you ask questions from a mentor or a coach or somebody like that, that that you really focus on asking the right question with the right motivation and right intent. So what does right motivation look like? Right motivation looks like wanting to know the truth and not some variation of the truth. You know, I have this thing where I say that 95 to 99% of the time men are lying to themselves, especially in these situations. You're lying to yourself about what you're going through. So therefore, when you talk to a coach or you talk to uh, one of our advisors, you end up lying to them. You know, we have so many guys will say, you know, oh, they want to do this. And then we tell them, you know, investment and they're like, oh, I don't, I don't have any money. And, and nine times out of 10, they're lying. Or other times we'll, we'll tell them, you know, Hey, we think you should do this. And like, oh, well, that's not really happening. And it's like, when push comes to shove, well, okay, that is happening. And I am doing that. And I am being an asshole and all those things. So I say that because I want you guys to be honest. I want you to be honest with yourself. I want you to be honest with me because if you can't be honest with yourself and you can't be honest with guys who are trying to help you, guess what's going to happen? You'll never be honest with your wife. Now, I have this thing about emotional connection, right? Women are craving emotional connection from their men. That to them is like is like really good sex. It's almost like porn, right? And like like porn for a man, like gets them excited and, and all this stuff, right? But for women, emotional connection is like that. It gets them excited. It gets them feeling connected to you, which then makes them want to have sex with you because they now feel a part of your life. They feel attached to you in a healthy way. But if you can't be honest with your wife, if you can't be, you know, in this place where she is the, the love of your life, and, and you want to be honest with how you feel and, and all that, then of course she's going to struggle with believing. Of course she's going to uh, struggle with whether or not, you know, you're, you're the kind of man that she wants to be with forever. So I'm going to go ahead and get into these questions. Hopefully you all are live with me and you can hear them. If not, we'll get them to you on the other side. All right. The very first question I got comes from Mike Barrett. He says, wife moved out a month ago. She still wants to pay half the mortgage to be able to get her full share of the equity built up. Hmm. My question is, how far should I take the pain? Oh, let me get back here. Question is, how far should I take the separation of finances? We currently have two joint bank accounts together. Divorce has been talked about. Neither of us have filed yet. So this is a legal question. So I've got to be careful in how I answer this because I don't want to be stepping into the zone of a, 
uh, lawyer. Um, I am not a lawyer, and therefore any information I give you at this point is not legal advice, nor is it financial advice from a financial advisor. But I want to, let's break down the actual question, okay? So wife has already moved out. She still wants to pay half the mortgage bill to get her full share of the equity bill. So, so essentially, she's trying to contribute towards the marital asset because she wants to maintain that equity in the home. So his question is, how far should I take separation of finances? We currently have two joint bank accounts together. Divorce has been talked about. Neither have filed. So in terms of the separation of finances, I think what you need to look at is if, the, if this is heading towards divorce and divorce is kind of the, you know, that's what's next. And you're just kind of like going through the motions until you get there. That's where I think you need to, to look at this and go, okay, how can I best protect myself? How can I best protect my assets? And how can I best put myself in the, how can I put myself in the most powerful position possible for my kids and my future? Okay. So the way we frame this question is around those ideas, which is, Hey, is how, how am I going to do this? Um, how can I be in that really, really powerful position? So when I think about separating finances out, generally speaking, what I want to do is look at what you're actually doing um, to contribute to the bills, right? So if you look at the actual bills in your program, you split, right? Because it's a marital asset that you join together. So anything that you're going to keep beyond the marriage, that's what I would focus on paying for. If the the home is going to be sold, which it sounds like that's what she's wanting to do, then, then yeah, I mean, it's, it, it, it's, uh, I think it's fine. Like, I honestly don't think, I don't think anything wrong with it. Again, I'm not giving you a legal opinion or a financial opinion. I'm giving you an empowerment opinion. I don't see any reason why she should not contribute to the finances of the house. Um, just because she moved out doesn't mean she can't, you know, just like if you were to move out, she'd probably expect that you would help with that. And so it benefits you. Um, if you're trying to steal the mortgage, meaning if you're trying to like basically make it so that the house is completely yours and all the equity is yours, that could be where this question is coming from. I'm not really sure, um, but I don't see anything wrong with this. All right. Good question. Next question from Kevin Stevens. How do you lean into the pain? This is a toughie. This is a toughie. And this is one that almost every guy really, really struggles with. And they almost don't like it when I say this idea of leaning into the pain. The idea of leaning into the pain comes from the fact that when we're in pain, if we don't deal with and acknowledge the pain, we will bury the pain. We will numb the pain go to drugs, alcohol, sex, whatever, to numb the pain so we don't actually deal with it. And by doing so, we actually never get our healing. That's why if you talk to one of our advisors about Thrive, the very, very first thing we do is we start to help you like diffuse the power that your wife has over you, right? And that diffusion of power helps you then confront the pain. So you have to diffuse the power, which we talked a little bit about last week, and then you confront the pain. And when you confront the pain, Okay, now you're in a different place. Um, so when we talk about leaning into it, we're talking about not doing anything that would numb the pain. So for example, if I'm feeling overwhelmed, I'm starting to feel emotional, journal it and cry and give my heart space. Sometimes it's about yelling and screaming. Sometimes it's going into the shower, turning the shower on and just screaming or crying or doing whatever, allowing your body, allowing your emotions to have space. Okay. Um, I say grief is like the ocean. It comes in waves. And some of you are feeling those waves. 
And, and some of you are in denial about those waves. You'll felt one big wave and you think, okay, good. I'm good now. Everything's fine. But then in reality, the next wave is just about to pummel you. Um, and this usually happens with guys where they think their wife has led, is leaned back into the marriage. We call that false hope. And that false hope or false positive, excuse me, the false positive comes in and it's like, oh, she's nice to me. You know, we're not fighting anymore. So you're thinking, hey, sex is right around the corner. So next thing you know, you try to like make a move. And then she's like, what the fuck are you doing? That's not what this is about. I'm not ready for that. I'm not sure if I still want to be married to you. And you're like, what the hell? And you just get like super emotional because you don't know what to do with it. Right. And so the leaning into the pain is going to that place with like, for example, in our thrive group, we have 24 seven chat. So you can talk to any of our coaches or any of our guys 24 seven who are in the midst of going through what they're going through. And so we'll work them through our process, walk them through what they need to be, you know, doing and allowing themselves to not vent, but process in a, he in a healthy way. And that processing looks like, this is what I feel. Uh, this is what I want to do, but I know this would be the most empowering thing to do. And I'm going to do this instead. So leaning into the pain is really about being present with the pain, being okay with the pain, not feeling weak because of the pain and literally just dealing with it. Like that's all we're asking you to do because men really struggle with dealing with pain. They don't want to deal with the pain. They don't want to lean into it. They don't want to look at it they, because, because pain makes them feel weak. I, I've seen this thing recently where it's like, pain is weakness leaving the body. And I'm like, when we feel pain, it makes us human. And the humanity of who we are, it, it, it brings us alive. Like it, it makes us feel life. I mean, so many of you were living like this humdrum life, you, like for the last 10 years, five years, 20 years, 30 years, in some cases, where you were just like existing. You know, you did the same routine, you came home, you drank a beer, whatever, you know, you watch some TV and you just like, you just like existed. And then suddenly your wife says, I don't want to be married to you anymore. And now you're faced with pain. You're faced with the external pain of what she's done, of what she's saying. You face the internal pain of rejection and abandonment that you've felt for your entire life. And you don't know how to deal with it. But look, if you're not dealing with it and you're just exploding, you're just you know, going off. You're just trying to start a fight with some guy. You're, you're just drinking it away. You're just sexing it away. Whatever those things are, you're never actually dealing with it. And, and here's what happens. If you never actually deal with it, eventually the, the normal pain will subside and, and it'll go underneath the surface. And so you won't like feel it all the time anymore. It's just kind of like bubbling under the surface. And it takes a lot of work to keep that thing down. It's kind of like if you were to take a beach ball and try to put the ball under the water and hold it under the water. Now, maybe for a while you can kind of like just corral it and, and keep it under there for a little bit, but your whole body is going to like be working to try to keep it off. And eventually a wave will hit something, someone will come along, whatever, and you'll that ball will pop right out from underneath the water because it's been waiting to pop out from under the water. That's what happens when you don't lean into the pain, when you don't pop the ball and kill the ball and throw that thing back in the trash where you actually deal with it instead of trying to hide it, instead of trying to like just, just corral it and keep it close to you. Why do guys do that? Because guys want to hold on to pain because it gives them an identity. You think about it, like a man who's been wronged by a woman, a man who's been wronged by another man will hold on to that pain as if it's some sort of badge 
that gives him respect, that gives him some sort of power. Instead of actually dealing with the pain, he holds onto it. And it's sad. How many of you know a father, an uncle, or somebody in your life that was older than you as a child, and you're like, man, that guy's just mean. He's just angry. Why is he mean and angry? Because he's holding on to pain. He doesn't know how to release. And guys, that's what happens to young men, 20, 30, 40 years old, who don't deal with the pain. By the time they hit 50, 60, 70 years old, they are just like old men trying to corral all these beach balls, trying to keep this one underneath, but that one's popping out because that one's from his first ex-wife. This one's from his second ex-wife. This one's from when his kids, you know, decided to not be around him anymore. This one's from when he got fired from his job. This one's from his father. This, and, and he's got all these balls that he's trying to corral and keep underneath him. And that is exhausting. So when we teach you to lean into pain, we are giving you a tool how much longer can you continue to corral this pain that you are in? You can try to go to therapy all you want. You can try to go to church support group all you want, but until you have the tools and not accountability, not just accountability, but the community of men who are also releasing their pain, all going through it together at the same time, until you have that, you are going to be stuck holding all these balls under the water, trying to keep this thing and this thing and this thing and this thing together instead of leaning into it and saying, you know what, I'm going to put my nose to the plow. I'm going to be right here and I'm going to let this thing not destroy me, but I'm going to let this thing build me back up. I would, I, I would do things like if you go back and watch the M3 method for, for pain releasing uh, that podcast that we did a couple months ago, Joey and I, I would do those things and it would quickly release the pain because I was leaning in and dealing with it. I wasn't just trying to bury it. That's the idea is that we want to release the pain so that we're not holding it in anymore. All right. Good question. Let's go on to another one. What's an example of a power statement? Power statements are what we teach in Thrive, and they're built on the idea of the I feel statement. So if you've ever been through therapy, we teach power statements as a way to, uh, I would say, to take a toxic conversation down a level. Um, it's to help the other person see what you feel versus the versus you trying to you know make them see something you're just expressing this is what i feel and that's all it is power triangle um power triangle is something i created to help guys really use power statements setting the narrative all together but essentially a power triangle is when you you basically own your shit so you own whatever it is that happened or is going on then you create a new boundary and then you communicate that boundary so that's the the triangle right so i own it i, I create a new boundary i set the boundary or I, I communicate the boundary and that's essentially what a power triangle so we use power triangles for anything that you've allowed um, i think power triangles are the greatest invention of communication. Um, I, I don't know if I created it or not. That's just what I call it. Um, but it has helped me so much in communicating with all kinds of people. I use it with my team. I use it with my kids. I've used it with my ex. I use it with my current, uh, you know, fiance, soon to be wife. Um, I, I use it all the time because it is a powerful way to be humble, but strong at the same time. So sometimes, you know, just owning your shit, is super, it's super powerful because you're, you're coming with humility. So it's a way to lead from a place of humility and strength versus you trying to like just make shit happen to people and make them hurt and all this other stuff. All right, so that's power triangle. Uh, another, another one, how to fix brokenness in yourself. 
before stabilizing your relationship. So Andrew, this is a great question. I mean, this is exactly what we do in Thrive, um, which I know you were, you were planning to join. Um, brokenness in yourself is a huge thing. And you, and really that's the sequence, right? Is you can't fix a broken marriage until you fix the broken mark. Yeah. So many of you have the sequence wrong. You're trying to fix a broken marriage. A marriage get broken? Well, you have two broken people that get together. You have two people. Uh, you have two people that are flawed. I'll, I'll use flawed instead of broken. Um, Misty would kill me if I said broken. She doesn't like that word. But I would say flawed. You know, if you have two flawed people, it creates toxic environment. It creates an atmosphere that's not healthy. It creates all kinds of bad things. So how do you change that? You you focus on you. So to fix brokenness in yourself is really about the journey of healing. Um, that's the second part of our Thrive program, which is literally releasing the pain and, and getting that healing. Um, and when you go through those exercises, my goodness, um, that's where most guys probably get a 10x return on their investment. Because at that point, they're like, wow, now not only do I have a practical tool before this, where you, I mean, we're not therapists, but we definitely have coaching tools that will allow you to release pain from your childhood, allow you to own your shit and things that you, against yourself even. Um, we have guys do that all the time. So th the question how to fix brokenness in yourself, this is a journey, right? There's no, there's no one-stop shop, easy answer on how to fix brokenness in ourselves. All right, let's go to the next one. What would be good indicators of when would be the right time to engage after going no conflict, limited contact? Yeah, the, the no contact, limited contact thing, um, it, the, this, this situation is kind of volatile, right? So I don't know the particulars of your specific situation. Um, but I would say is, is you can engage again in conversation of saying, Hey, last time we chatted, um, you know, it, it got really crazy, really fast. And, you know, so last time we, we engaged, it wasn't very good. It, it went bad really fast. I'd like to see if you're at a place where we can communicate healthy again. That's one way of going about it. Um, the other way of going about it um, would be just giving it the time and space. I think it depends on the the level of toxicity. You know, if this is just like one fight that you guys just had, sometimes going back after an hour is fine. But if this is like no contact, like months, that really is just going to depend on where you're at in your in your particular situation. Um, we usually preach limited contact for most of our clients and thrive, but really depends on if they're still living in the same house, um, all those things. What I'd rather you focus on is focusing on the right kind of contact versus limited contact, meaning the right kind of contact, which is talking about kids, talking about things that you need to discuss as a, you know, as a kind of a unit, even though you guys aren't, you know, you're technically married, but you're sort of separated. So that's how I'd handle that. All right. Uh, Hank Elliott, what advice do you guys, do you give guys that are looking to decide when it's a good time to date? The dating question. Uh, so the dating question is an interesting one. Um, I am, how do I say this? I am not a fan of going right from a toxic, want a divorce relationship to let me get into another relationship like within a couple of weeks or even a couple of months. Everyone's different um, in terms of when they're ready. Um, I know that I needed time um, I probably needed even more time than I probably gave myself originally, but I was very forthcoming with, um, my girlfriend at the time 
and was very like, look, you know, I just got out of a relationship. So there's, there's only so, you know, whatever, six months or eight months, whatever it was. Um, there's only so much I can give you. Um, and I'm not willing to go beyond that at this point. And I think it comes back to that person being okay with boundaries. So really it comes back to your own boundaries, Hank, um, and what you're able to do. Um, I've walked clients through this process of re-engaging and, you know, getting into a new relationship and, you know, one is now like getting remarried soon and, um, and it can be good, but it's mostly dangerous. And here's why is because the, the need or the desire for a, for a female is, is, is important and it's good. It's healthy. There's nothing wrong with it. But if it's to replace something broken, if it's to, to fill a vacuum, then it's dangerous because you need to be able to come to a relationship wholly and be able to have, be able to give all of you to that person because otherwise you're stealing from them. Right. And when I, when I talk to guys about this, a lot of times it's basically, they just want to get off. They just want to fuck. Um, they just, they just want to get in and get out. Um, and that's, that's on you. That's your own morals or ethics or however you look at life and transactional sex. I'm not here to judge that, but more than anything, don't get, don't get into a relationship. Um, generally speaking, there's all kinds of rules of thumb. Like if you've been married for every four years, you should wait a year or something like that. I can't remember whatever it is on when you should actually get back in the dating world. I don't think you have to wait eight years before you start dating again. I think some of that's too much, but I would also like caution you to get out ahead of yourself where your singleness is actually something that's really good. Um, I enjoyed being single. And I think for me, that was when I knew it was okay to start engaging in a relationship because I was okay being by myself. And personally, I'd never been like that in my life. So if you get to a place where you're like, I'm okay being by myself, I don't need to be in a relationship. I'm interested in a person, but I'm willing to take it slow. I'm willing to have boundaries. I'm willing to, you know, be very forthcoming with, about, with them, about my status, about how long this has been, you know, how long I've been divorced or how long I've been in this, you know, whatever. Um, that I think is the more important question. Um, so remember we talked earlier about the types of questions and we asked them, I would look at it that way is how, how willing are you to be, you know, single. And if, if this is a need, like I've got to be in a relationship, I've got to have another person, then I would very much caution you against that because then you're going to end up in another codependent relationship. Um, and really that's, that's the whole thing, right? Is I'm not trying to keep you from having sex and I'm not trying to keep you from, you know, getting your, your heart whatever, feeling love again, what I am trying to keep you from is hurting yourself again and again and again and again. And the guys that have been married three times can, can attest to that where they're like, you know, after the first one, I didn't wait very long and I went and got, got into another relationship really quick. And she ended up not being what I thought she was. And we ended up getting married and we had a kid and five years later we got divorced. And now I'm on marriage number three and the same thing's happening again, right? It's, it really comes back to that. Like, like how much of that do you want to go through? How much do you want to put yourself through? Because it's on you. It's not on anyone else. All right, I got one more question. How do you balance helping out for your kid's sake versus helping or enable the ex to take advantage of you? I lean more towards on this one. I lean towards this is always about the kids. Uh, if you are making this about her in any way, if it's to manipulate her, then don't do it. But if it's for the kid's sake, um, it's a good thing. Now, let me let me put some boundaries and parameters around this. If this is it's your your ex-wife's weekend, and every weekend or a continuous theme of 
Hey, I can't be here. I can't be with the kids. I got to do this or whatever. Or, Hey, I want to go to town with my boyfriend. Can you just watch them this weekend? Can you do this? That becomes an issue. You need to let your other partner fail. You need to let your ex fail. Um, if you are in savior mode because you're trying to, for the kid's sake, be careful because that will allow her to manipulate you and use the kids against you like little pawns. Um, I've seen that a million times and I almost experienced that in my own, but I recognized and realized that if she was going to do that and I, and I was going to allow that I'm creating a precedent, right? You don't want to create a precedent that says it's okay. I will always bail you out ex-wife or soon to be ex-wife instead of, Hey, you know, I always want the kids but you also need to be there for them. This is your time with them. Now, if it's like other things like provision, like school supplies and, and things of that nature. I mean, a lot of this, again, is just, it's hard to say without specifics of, you know, your case, Corey. Um, I don't know the underlying, what all this really is. I'm just guessing based upon what I've seen before from guys like you. Um, usually it's about those types of things like time, Sometimes it's about things like buying them stuff. You know, I'm the provider. I, I I provide everything for my kids. I don't ask for anything. I have my kids 80% of the time. I pay for daycare. I pay for everything. I get no child support. I get nothing. I didn't pay her child support. I was able to, you know, do a, what's called a wash in our child support agreement. So, um, and that's not to say I'm better. It's just the way the way it negotiated. Um, but I just, I just believe in paying for and providing for my kids. Um, and so even if I had to pay child support, I would pay child support if that was what needed to happen um, for them to be successful. So I pay my own former child support by providing everything for them, medical, dental, whatever, it doesn't matter, um, therapy, all the things, cash out of pocket. So kids sake, it's a very touchy subject. It's hard to say specifically. Um, so Corey, I don't know if that completely answers your question. Um, feel free to comment if you want to uh, have some more dialogue on that. Well, guys, that's it for today. That's all the questions I got. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for uh, showing up. And um, uh, I love doing these things. They're always fun to talk about different things. But hey, let's keep getting better with our questions. Let's keep asking deeper probing questions that are really about you and about how you're showing up and what you're doing and what trends you're seeing in yourself. Until next time, guys, see you on the flip side. Hey, this is Mark Santiago, CEO and founder of Empowered Man. I want to thank you for listening to today's podcast. However, before you go, I want to give you a special invitation. Now, listen, we've got a program that is designed specifically for men who are hurting right now, who are on the verge potentially of divorce, who are facing potential separation or already separated, and they don't know what to do. They don't know where to turn. They're dealing with anxiety. They're dealing with cheating. They're dealing with all kinds of shit. If that's you, I want to challenge you to take the Empowered Man 30-Day Challenge. That's right, the Empowered Man 30-Day Challenge. You can go to emchallenge.com right now and sign up for the 30-Day Challenge. Here's why I think you should do that. If you're hurting, you need to understand why you're hurting. You need to understand what is actually going on. In week one of the challenge, we are gonna actually rip off that Band-Aid a little bit and coach you through that process. And then we continue to do that process all the way to the point where you start to make decisions that are empowered instead of disempowered. I don't know about you, but I would much, much, much rather make decisions from a place of strength than a place of weakness. So if you're facing decisions, if you're facing this anxiety, what do I do? 
how do I respond? When my wife is being toxic, I don't know what to do. My wife is cheating on me. I don't know what to do. My wife doesn't love me. I don't know what to do. We are going to help you find those answers within. Now look, this 30 day challenge is probably unlike any other you've been a part of. Why? Because not only do we have daily assignments happening in the program every single day, but you also get live group coaching calls. I said live group coaching calls with myself and my lead coach. That's right, I am a part of this. It's not just some other people doing it. I am there live with you every single week call that we are on. Third part of that is you're gonna have a community of other guys that are going through exactly what you are going through. And the best part of this, this isn't even a fraction of the price we could charge for it. In fact, at some point we may raise the price, but right now it is at a bargain. So go to emchallenge.com, emchallenge.com to take the Empowered Man 30 Day Challenge and I will see you on the inside.